Well, I am so excited to be here at Harvest Bible Chapel, Ottawa. This is amazing. So glad. Been looking forward to this day for years now. Uh, um, Ray's been uh, a part of our uh, staff team. I remember Ray's uh, first day uh, at our church, um, his, his first week, um, his very first day in our church office. We have just sort of a small staff, met in a very small office building. And uh, we, we sort of have a, not very strict, but just sort of a regular dress code uh, in our office, just to try to wear a collared shirt and then that sort of thing. Ray came on his first day wearing a bright orange Denver Broncos Tim Tebow football jersey. And uh, I remember, so we got together, we started the day, we prayed, and it was great. I just, I just had a knock into Ray's sort of shared little office area and say, hey, Ray, like next time, just make sure you wear a collared shirt. And, and uh, Ray received that criticism. And honestly, I don't think I've had to correct Ray too many other times other than just wear the right clothes. And, uh, and, and other than that, and he's not wearing a football jersey today, so apparently it worked. He, he took my counsel. And uh, so I'm so thankful. And I remember his first Sunday, I remember it just brought back so many memories, just worshiping beside uh, Ray today. I felt like he was going to run on the stage. He was so excited to worship Jesus. And, and if you're here today and uh, you're part of Harvest Ottawa or just visiting our church, I just want you to know that the man that is leading this church is, uh, first and foremost, he's a man of intensity. Uh, he is intense in his love for Jesus, in his love for his wife Natalie, for his, for his children. He is a man of intensity, but, but, but furthermore, he is a man of authenticity. It's not something that's forced or contrived. He, he's intense because he's authentic. And, and he's also a man of humble dependence on the Lord. And Ray and Natalie, Lynch and I, we love you so much. We love your family. We're so glad to be here at your uh, church today. And so I'd like to invite you to open up your Bible to the book of Nehemiah. And I want to ask you a question as you uh, do that. When, at, when's the last time you heard God speak? And uh, listen, if you don't have a Bible with you today, uh, we're called Harvest Bible Chapel. Bible's in our, our middle name. And so we want to make sure everyone has a chance to follow along. So if you need a Bible, uh, some of the ushers are going to be coming up and down the aisle right now. And uh, so just put up your hand or holler at them if you want a copy of God's Word. You can find Nehemiah and the table of contents there. I want to make sure everyone has a chance to follow along. But have you ever heard God speak to you? Or do, do you ever wish that, that God would, in fact, speak to you? You know, in, in the pages of the Bible, there are sort of these, these sensational moments where God speaks. The, the burning bush where Moses unquestionably heard the voice of God. Or, or uh, Elijah on the mountain after the, after the, the earthquake and the other supernatural moments, he, he heard that, that still small voice. But it was unquestionable that God was speaking. And, and really, what we have here is God's word. It is God speaking. But what we often miss is God doesn't always speak in uh, burning bushes. He doesn't always speak in Damascus Road experiences or mountaintop experiences. God is a God uh, who, has, who has spoken and continues to speak through his word. And so uh, today what we're going to do, we're going to read a document that, that records an event that happened over two and a half centuries ago. But we believe that as we read that document, as we read this description of this event, we're going to believe that God is a God who has spoken and who is speaking. 
You see, God's word has so much power that, that when it's spoken in the moment, it reverberates on into all of eternity. I mean, at the very beginning, God said, let there be light. The lights are still on. And the light has continued on, hasn't it? And, and that is how God's word speaks. He has spoken and continues speaking. And why I'm excited to share with you Nehemiah 8 today is because as we are looking back to an ancient document to try to hear God's voice, the people in Nehemiah 8 are doing the exact same thing. They're reading an ancient document and they're hearing God's word speak, not in some um, sensational burning bush moment, but in the simple reading and explanation of God's word. So I'm going to pray that God would meet with us as we expect him to speak. So let's, let's ask him to do that now. And so, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of gathering in your name and singing praises, God. I'm so glad to be here among these people, Lord, to be worshiping together. And Lord, we pray now that as we open up your word, God, I pray that this would not merely be a a, a man talking about God, but God speaking through a man, speaking through your living and active word, God. So we pray that you would do what only you can do for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. So today we're going to look at five signs that God is speaking. How can you be sure if you're hearing God's voice? Here's what will be happening in a community of believers if God's word is speaking. Here's the first one, it's unity. When God is speaking, there is a, there is a surprising, a refreshing unity among God's people. If you look at verse 1, it says, And all the people were gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. It says, all the, in the passage that we're going to study today, that phrase, all the people, is used nine times. All the people were gathered. All the people did this. All the people did that. All the people responded in this way. There was unity. Notice how they were gathered together there as one man. They had one purpose. There was one goal. They were there to hear the word of God. It says that they were gathered at uh, the water gate. Now, this is the book of Nehemiah. This isn't about Richard Nixon. Uh, the water gate was a, was a gate that had been recently constructed. Let me fill in the background of the, the book of Nehemiah for you. Uh, All of the people of God had just returned from exile in Babylon. Uh, But they were not secure where they were. They they were brought back to the promised land, but, but they were struggling to defend themselves against their enemies. There was a number of people that weren't happy that they were there. And Nehemiah, he had a government job. Anyone here have a government job in the city of Ottawa? He had a government job. He was, he was working uh, in the palace for, for, the, for the king of Persia. And Nehemiah traveled all the way back to the city of Jerusalem. And, and he, he traveled a great uh, distance in order to get there, uh, 770 kilometers if he, if he went about 32 clicks a day, which would be a lot of walking, it would have taken him 55 days just to get there. And, and then, miraculously, under the power of, of God-given gifts 
and, and Nehemiah's ability to lead, he, they rebuilt the city in 52 days. Now the city's been rebuilt and they've reestablished all of the gates. Now they're meeting at the water gate. Now there's some significance about why they chose the water gate. Why aren't they in the temple reading the Bible? Well, wh- why aren't they at the palace uh, reading the Bible? No, they chose the water gate. Why did they choose the water gate? Because everybody needs water. You can't live without water. And this was a gate that everybody used. And this is the power about this book. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every, you can't live without this book. And everyone needs this book. And this book is not reserved for a special class of people at the temple for the priests and the Levites. This book is not reserved only for the kings or the leadership or the aristocracy. No, this book is for everyone. Everyone needs water. Everyone needs the word of God. And so it says, in, at, at the end of verse one, it says, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book. They told him to bring the book. I think it went something like this. Someone in the crowd just shouted out, bring the book. Maybe someone can do that right now. Yeah, and then a couple of other people started saying it. And then they kind of started ch- chanting, you know, bring the book. Bring the book, right? You see, because this is where unity comes from. Unity comes from the authority of God's word. And what the people wanted, listen, I'm sure Ezra was a really great speaker. I'm sure Nehemiah could have had some great things to say, but they didn't want to simply hear from a man. They wanted to hear from God. And that's what unites us. And so, Pastor Ray, you can do this maybe as a fire drill one day. Just a little, little practice. I just, one day, get up and start to preach, but don't bring your Bible with you. Leave it on your chair. See if anyone notices. And then start shouting, hey, 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 Pastor Ray, bring the book, man. Like, we love you and everything, but we want to hear about Jesus. We want to hear from the word of God. So they start chanting, bring the book. And look how they describe it. It's the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. See, that little statement is a great picture of what we believe about the word of God. It's the law of Moses. Moses wrote it. But it's the law of Moses that God commanded. You see, we believe that God spoke through human authors to give us his book that is written right here. It reminded me of, of uh, what, it, uh, what it says uh, in God's word in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, that says that men spoke from God. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So it's the, the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. Verse 2 mentions Ezra the priest again. Uh, in verse 1, he's called Ezra the scribe. So he was, a, he was a priest, but he went above and beyond being a priest. He became a scribe. He was a, he was a student of the scripture. And it says that he brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand. Now let me tell you about Ezra. Uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, if, if there was any sort of true biblical odd couple, it was Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra had already been there for 13 years and the wall didn't get built. Nehemiah showed up and a month and a half later, the wall's done. And so you can tell that they kind of work at a different pace. They they had different personalities. There was one instance in which uh, the people were sinning and Ezra was so upset about what was happening among the people of God, he grabbed his beard and ripped out his hair. There's a similar instance in which Nehemiah was so upset about the sins of the people, he grabbed other people's beards. And I'm not, I'm not making that up. It's, it's, in, 
It's in God's word. These people couldn't have been more different. Nehemiah was this administrator, this leader, this visionary. Ezra was this pastor, scholar, this, this academic, but he was being called upon. Nehemiah knew his gift. He didn't, do the, he didn't do the preaching and teaching. He knew what his role was. And listen, isn't that another sign of unity? That we're all, Ezra and Nehemiah couldn't have been more different, but what united them? The word of God. And, and here in this church, there's all kinds of different personalities. There's all, there's all kinds of different gifting, and we're all using them for God's purpose. I love this verse uh, that's spoken about Ezra. Ezra 7.10 says that Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and teach his statutes in, um, and his rules in Israel. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Ezra 7.10. And we named our firstborn son Ezra. And every, um, every night I, I pray this verse for Ezra, that he would set his heart, that he would study, do, and teach the word of God. And uh, when Ezra was quite young, uh, he thought this was the only way to pray. Uh, I remember one time uh, one of his brothers was sick and I thought, well, this is kind of a learning opportunity. Maybe I'll bring Ezra in and say, hey, Ezra, I'm just praying for your, for your little brother here. How about you pray for him? And Ezra prayed for his little brother, Jet. He said, I, dear God, I pray for Jet. I pray that he would set his heart to study, do, and teach your word. Amen. And uh, no, nothing about him being sick or feeling better. <laughs> it was just because he just thought that's what prayer uh, was. That says a little bit about the flaws of my parenting and my prayer life, I guess, but... So he says that he, he brought the book of the law. I'm in verse two. Notice the unity again. Both men and women and all who could understand, young and old, what they heard. I'm thanking God right now who are specifically catering the gospel, the, the message of the Bible to children and harvest kids right now. All who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and all those who could understand. And the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. It says that he, he spoke from early morning until midday. So this is five to six hours this sermon went on. And so to sort of demonstrate that, I, I'm going to just preach for five or six hours today, okay? I hope that's okay. I know there's an important hockey game coming on, but uh, uh, hopefully you'll be able to catch the third period. I'm just, I'm just joking with you. Um, but I, I'm really thankful right now for what I'm seeing in this room, and this is what Nehemiah records here at the end of verse 3. All the ears of the people were attentive. This is another sign that God is speaking. Attentiveness. I see Bibles open. I see pens in hands. I see people leaning forward. Just like the people in that day, this is what is happening right here, right now, because God is speaking. I love what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. It says, When you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God which is at work in you believers. They listen, to, they listen to God's word for five or six hours. Some of you might be thinking, well, listen, uh, th- th- that, would, that would get kind of boring. Well, listen, the Bible is not boring. Uh, Pastor Ray did not move here with Natalie to, to, to plant Harvest Boring Chapel. This is Harvest Bible Chapel. This is a story about a God who has the power to simply speak the universe into existence. I mean, we've got talking donkeys. We've got geriatric pregnancies. People getting swallowed from the earth. Someone being crucified, buried, and raised again in order to give us eternal life. This book is not boring. 
And I'm a Bible thumper. I don't apologize for it. I say this book is not boring. Try it with me right now. Grab your Bible and pound it. This book is not boring. And we can spend hours going through and wrestling with and delighting in all that God's word has for us. That we would be attentive to God's word. And so part of being attentive to God's word is coming to church prepared. And listen, being, coming to church prepared uh, involves uh, how we spend our Saturday night. You know, we do things on Saturday night that we'd never do on a work night because we've got to be ready for work. But what about being ready for church? And, and, and we come to work prepared and we come to work on time. And, 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 and we, we've got to make sure that we are, we are having this necessary reverence and respect for what is happening among God's people when we gather together, bringing our Bibles, bringing a pen, taking notes, expecting God to speak, being attentive. And it says in verse four that Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. Uh, he stood up on a, on a wooden platform and it was an, they, they had made it ahead of time. Now, um, in the uh, King James Version, it says a wooden pulpit. And uh, too often now in our present day age, when we think about a pulpit, we think about something like this, like a lectern. But the pulpit, actually, it means platform. You go into these old churches and you see that the pulpit, the lectern, the, pa- the preacher like, has to go up these steps. He's like way up here. And it's not to elevate the messenger, it's to communicate the message. And uh, I'm not elevated uh, right now, a room this size, I don't need to be. But it, with the number of people that, that Ezra was speaking to, he needed to be up on a platform. Again, it's, it's not about putting on a show for the people. It's making sure that eye contact can be made. It's making sure that gestures can be, can be seen. And I love what it says here, that, that they, 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 they made it for the purpose they knew, okay, Ezra's going to come and preach, and so well, we better get ready. And I'm so thankful that at the crack of dawn this morning, there was a whole army of people that were here because they knew God's word was going to be spoken. And this setup crew here at Harvest Ottawa is absolutely incredible. The job that they do at transforming this gymnasium into a place of worship where we can hear the word of God. And so there's no wooden platform for the preacher to be standing on right now, but there's a microphone and speakers and there's lights all for the purpose, not to focus the attention on me, but to focus the attention on God's word. And, and it requires planning. And I'm so thankful for all of the people. Why don't we just uh, show our appreciation to all of those people and the hard work that they are doing. Amen. So then as Ezra's reading the Bible, uh, he, chances are he came across some difficult uh, names and, and, and that sort of thing to pronounce. And uh, this is sort of everyone's nightmare in small group Bible study, isn't it? That you're going around the circle reading the Bible and then it comes to you and then you end up with a verse like this. And so here's, uh, here's what it says. And, and beside him stood, I'm just going to go for it. There's no course in seminary about how to pronounce uh, Hebrew uh, names. Uh, uh, Mattathiah, Shema. Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Masiah, and on his right hand, a Padiah, Mishael, Makajai, <laughs> Hashbam, Hash, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And this, here's my tip, and I, I learned this from one of my university professors. Even if you don't know how to pronounce it, say it with authority, and people will think that you know what you're talking about. And so uh, that's my tip for you in, uh, in, in, in 
uh, small group Bible study. Verse 5 says, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, not because he was better than them, but because he was holding the word. And he opened it, and all the people stood. Here's the, here's the, uh, the third sign that God is speaking. Worship. It's worship. So he opened the Bible in the sight of all the people, and he opened it, and all the people stood to show reverence for the word of God. And then look at verse 6. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. You see, he worshiped, but he, he, we don't worship the Bible. We don't worship the word of God. We worship the God of the word. And, and the reason why we love this book is because God wrote it. And, and, and our worship, what, what the word of God does is it causes us, it draws us closer into worship. We're so thankful for the way that Josh and this amazing worship team led us into worship so that we can hear the word of God, but then the word of God then draws us back into worship. Great worship makes us want to hear the word of God and hearing the word of God makes us want to worship and they propel one another. That's our first two pillars at harvest, our unapologetic preaching and unashamed adoration, proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology and lifting high the name of Jesus in worship. Those two things go together. So Ezra blessed the Lord. He didn't bless the Bible. The great God and all the people answered, amen. Amen. And then it says, lifting up their hands and bowing their, head, their heads and worship the Lord with their faces to the ground. Notice, notice the variety of expression. They're standing. They're bowing down. They're raising their hands. That's something that we encourage at Harvest Bible Chapel is an expressiveness in our worship. We don't want to be a distraction to the people around us. We want the focus to be on Christ but one of the ways that we can really express what's happening in our hearts is by doing something physically, something as simple as raising our hands as a way of fully expressing our hearts to God. Then verse 7, here's another list of, li- another list of names. It says, also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites. And it says, they helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. So there's this one group of people, they're up on the platform, and, and their names were hard to pronounce. And then there's the second group of people with names that are hard to pronounce. But they weren't up on the platform. They were out among the people. And notice what they were doing. They helped the people understand. Here's here's the the fourth sign that God is speaking. It's understanding. You see, God is a God of clarity. And when God speaks, he he wants to speak clearly. He doesn't want to speak in some strange, esoteric kind of a language that no one uh, understands. He wants to speak clearly. And so these people were sent out in order to help people to understand. Now, with the mechanics of what this looked like, it's not described to us. We, we don't know how it looked, but here's what I imagine, is that Ezra was up there and those other guys were probably helping getting the scrolls ready or maybe tag-teaming on some of the reading up on the platform, but then I'm sure they would take breaks. And then these, this, this other group of, of people would go out into the group and say, does anyone have any questions? Can I, help you, can I help you understand what, what Ezra's been reading here? Does, does someone have a unique situation that they're trying to figure out how to apply that to their lives? You see, the goal in, in, in preaching God's word must be understanding. You, you, you could walk away from a message at Harvest Bible Chapel and you could say, you know what? I don't agree with what the preacher said. And you know what? That's fine. That's on you. 
But hopefully, God forbid, that you would never walk away from Harvest Bible Chapel and say, I don't understand what the preacher said. Because that's on us. If we don't make it clear, that's the whole goal here. And that's why these people were sent out. And so listen, if something that I said doesn't make sense to you, if you have a question about it, please come and ask me. There'll be leaders here at the front who can pray for you. They're also here to to answer uh, questions that you might have. We have a whole small group ministry. And that's really what these people are doing. They're sort of functioning like small group leaders who are gathering people together and saying, here's how we're going to apply what God's word is saying to your life and your specific situation. You see, here's the interesting thing that we've got to remember. So this event is happening about 445 BC. But they're, they're reading from the book of the law of Moses, which was written around 1445 BC. So a thousand years had gone by. Language had changed. Culture had changed. They they had been living in Babylon for the last 70 years. A whole generation had gone by. I I remember my my first year at uh, Queen's University, and I remember taking Introduction to English Literature. I've got to tell you, it was like two months into the course before I read something that looked like English. Beowulf and Canterbury Tales. I can't believe I was actually relieved when we got into Shakespeare. Because there was a gap. There was a, there was a, there was a, it was the same language, but there was a cultural and a linguistic gap between where I was and the time that it was written. And that was true for the people in Nehemiah's day. And listen, it's true in our day. So we need to do the hard work in order to understand it. And and we need to have people who are trained to help people understand the word of God because that's a sign that God is speaking. So they help the people to understand the law. I'm I'm in verse seven. Um, While the people remained in their places, and look at this in verse eight, they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly They gave the sense, they explained the meaning so that the people understood. So verse seven, they're helping them understand. That's what the the group members are doing. And then even the way that they were reading it, they were trying to read it in a way that people could understand. Not with big fancy theological terms or big philosophical or cultural concepts, but trying to be as clear as possible. Then if you look at verse 9, it says, and and Nehemiah, and he had been silent up until this point, even though this is his book. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest, the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. Notice this. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. So part of understanding the word of God means that we have to find ourselves in the story. And the law doesn't simply refer to the Ten Commandments. They just didn't read the Ten Commandments all day. That would have taken a lot less than six hours. The law, or Torah, is referring to the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Deuteronomy. The whole story of of Adam and Eve sinning and rebelling against God. The story about Abraham, the, 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 the story of God rescuing the people out of Egypt. And what happened is as the word of God was being read, here's the power of the word of God, is we hear this story, but then we find ourselves in the story. 
I mean, I hope you don't think like I so often did when I was younger. You know what? If I was in the Garden of Eden, I never would have eaten that fruit. That's not true. You've got to find yourself in the story. You've got to find yourself that when God says, don't step on the grass, you're the kind of person that says, why can't I step on the grass? Why can't I eat that fruit? As soon as a, there, there, there's something in us, as soon as there is a, a law laid down, there's something in us that wants to rebel against it. Or there's something in us that wants to show how good we are and how far away we stay from the grass. See, we find ourselves in the story. And sure, they heard the commands of God and they knew how they had fallen short. And it caused them to weep and to mourn when they thought about how they were living. And this God's standard is way up here and here's where I am. What am I going to do? And so they, they told the people, don't weep. All the people were weeping. And listen, that's a normal response. When God is speaking, there's going to be broken hearts over broken commandments. There's going to be pain and anguish as we think about decisions that we've made in our lives to rebel against God. That's just natural. It's going to happen. But verse 10 says, Then they said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. So the the translation for that is, Go to Swiss Chalet. That's what he's saying. And he says, "Send, Send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved. Notice this. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Ezra and Nehemiah were saying, listen, hey, hey, yeah, you have messed up. We've all messed up. But listen, we're here. We don't deserve to be here, but we're here. And why are we here? Why did God stir the heart of Cyrus, the king of Persia, after he conquered Babylon to send all the people back to Jerusalem? Because God did it. Why did God send Ezra and Nehemiah to lead the people? Because God did it. How did this wall get built so quickly? Because God did it. Even though we don't deserve it, God loves us. And, and, and part of understanding the message of the Bible is to know how we've fallen short of the glory of God. But also part of understanding the Bible is to know that the free gift of God is salvation. The, the grace that's found in Jesus Christ. And so that leads, this is the last sign, the most important sign that God is speaking. It's, the, it's joy. That, that the people will be filled with joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Verse 11 says, So the Levites claimed or calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. Again, grieving is a natural response. It's part of understanding where we fit in the story, understanding our sinfulness. But God does not want us to stay there. Do not be grieved. Verse, verse 12. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions to make, notice this, great rejoicing. And here's why they rejoiced. Because they had understood the words that were declared to them. When God is speaking, there is unity, there is attentiveness, there is worship, there is understanding. And all of that fills us with joy. And why are we filled with joy when we read the word of God? Because the God of the word is a God of joy. Jeremiah fifteen sixteen says, Your words were found and I ate them. And your words became a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord of hosts. Psalm nineteen eight: The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing 
the heart. Psalm 119, 111 says, your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. John 15, 11, Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. God is a God of joy. And he wants us to be filled with joy. And the way that we get filled with joy is by hearing God's word, by being attentive to it, by being united around it. And, and may Harvest Bible Chapel Brampton be a place that is filled with the joy of the Lord. And may the joy of the Lord be your strength. And may you find joy as you study God's word in in small groups, as you read it personally in your own devotions, and as you hear it faithfully preached by the faithful man, Pastor Ray, that God has given you to lead you and to teach you. May Harvest Bible Chapel, Ottawa, be a place where God is speaking and where, where the people are filled with joy. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Our Heavenly Father, I want to thank you, God, for being a God who is not silent, but you are a God who has spoken, and you are a God who is speaking. And Heavenly Father, I pray that you would open our ears, God, more importantly, that you would open our hearts to hear from you, that we might be filled with joy. And God, I pray that when your word speaks to us about our sin, God, I pray that your word would also speak to us about our Savior. That although, God, you are a holy God, part of your holiness, Lord, part of your moral perfection is that you are a loving God and a merciful God. And that you have rescued us and saved us through the cross of your son, Jesus Christ. And so God, I pray that as your spirit moves in this place, that we would hear your voice, that we would hear it today, Lord. And that we would hear it week after week, Lord, day after day, as we read your word, as we study it in small groups, as this body gathers, Lord, to hear your word proclaimed so powerfully Lord we pray that this would be a place where you work where this would be a place where you move where this would be a place where you speak so God we pray that you would help us draw us close to you we pray in Jesus name amen amen